So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 6 to 11. For those of you that are visiting, we are doing a series called The Way of Love. And why we're doing this series is because this letter from Corinthians that Paul writes to the Corinthian church is so pertinent, so helpful for us in the culture in which we live. There's so many pressures in our culture to think a certain way, to behave a certain way, to value certain things. And it seems sometimes like the culture pushes in on us and uh, everything that's in us as Christians has to stand really strong just to kind of carry on. And um, Paul writes in a very effective way to encourage a local church that he planted in Corinth in about AD 50. He had been in Athens. You read about that in Acts 17. And he comes down from Athens to Corinth where he plants this church. And he lives there for about 18 months. And then after that, he goes on to Ephesus where he writes the letter back to the Corinthian church from. And he's in about AD 55, he writes this letter back after about three years because he hears there are problems in the local church. And one of the problems is around unity, and there's another problem around sexual immorality, and there's another problem in how they're conducting their meetings, and there's another problem in terms of their view of the resurrection. And so he addresses all of these problems through this letter, and we've discovered in the first couple of chapters that we are in now that he's really trying to apply the gospel to unity in the church. And he says things like, well, I don't want you to prefer anyone in the church because there are a group of people in the church that are cheerleading around their favorite preacher. Some of them like Apollos, some of them like Paul, some of them like Peter. And they're in the church with these little kind of groups of people all vying for their guy. And Paul says, I didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. So let's behave like those that love Jesus and lay down our personal preferences and love Jesus with all of our hearts. And then he says, he goes on and says, I didn't even baptize many of you because he was so concerned that they wouldn't even say, well, Paul was the guy that baptized me, therefore he's my favorite guy. And he's trying to help them to see that there's only one person who draws all people together. And he says, this person is... Jesus. And then he preaches. He says, this is our message. We preach a simple message to you, not in the ways that the Greek preach, Greek share their new ideas with you in a philosophical way with clever words. I don't preach like that. I preach simply Christ crucified foolishness to the Greeks who loved wisdom. And it's very much like our culture, isn't it? Our culture loves wisdom, loves to think that can work everything out for itself. All we need is more freedom, more thought, more, and we'll be free. And I'm afraid that is not the truth. Everywhere there's much freedom and there's still people in chains all over the place. There's only one person who brings freedom, and that's Jesus. And that's what Paul says. He says, wisdom can help you, philosophy can help you, but it cannot save you. Cannot save you from yourself. Cannot save you from guilt. Cannot save you from shame. There's only one who can do that for you, and his name is Jesus. Yes? And put all of your trust in Jesus. And so he, he encourages them like this. And then Paul, uh, last week, Ed did an amazing job of looking at the first portion of chapter 2, where he looked at the message of Paul, and he looked at the heart of how Paul shares the message with the people, 
And he said to us that even though Paul says he comes in with fear and trembling, there's power in the spirit that is released when we don't get all clever, where we simply rely on him. And we too can use that same attitude as we share Jesus simply with people. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to kind of debate people into the kingdom. We share a simple message of Jesus Christ crucified. Foolishness to those that want to be wise. A stumbling block to others like the Jews who were looking for a miracle in, in Messiah. But to us that are being saved, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's what we, we landed last week. And now I'm going to read verse 6 to you, to 11, and it should come up. Oh, it is there, bright and clear. All right. So now Paul says this, after having kind of dismantled this um, love of philosophy that the, the Corinthian church loved philosophy, he kind of dismantles that and says the wisdom of this age is coming to nothing. And then he says, I want to speak to you about true wisdom. How many of you want true wisdom in your life? I want you to know that you're living a, a way that honors God. Well, Paul says, yeah, this is how we can learn about true wisdom. And he says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. So he's saying this message that I preach, that's foolishness to some people, it's a message of wisdom. And then he says it's, it's, it's a message of wisdom amongst the mature. Well, what does he mean when he says that? We're going to look at that. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, which is a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of us, sorry, none of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no eye has, uh, ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. And so here we have arrived at this point now in verse 6, where Paul comes to speak about true wisdom. And he says, we do have a message that is wise to those who are mature, but they to others in the world that don't recognize this message, they don't see it as wisdom. And so in other words, he's just trying to highlight again that God's wisdom is not man's wisdom to the nth degree. You know, sometimes we think that, that uh, you know, God is the sum of all our, of our wisdom and his wisdom is just really like the best of our wisdom multiplied many, many times. No, Paul is saying the wisdom of God is completely different to any wisdom that you and I have. It's a completely different category altogether. We can't even know the mind of God. And yet we'll see the beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit showing us the mind of God. And so he's saying here that ultimately one day everyone will know about this amazing plan of salvation that God has for all of us. But at the moment it's only known to those that believe in Jesus and love him and follow him. And so that's why he adds, he says, those amongst those who are mature. Some translations say perfect. Um, and so the question is, who are these, these mature ones that 
Paul is saying this wisdom speaks to. So, well, some people have said over the, the ages that he's talking about the difference between saved people and unsaved people. And some other people have said, well, he's talking about the difference between mature Christians and immature believers. And I think it's quite clear from the text that Paul really is just talking here about those that are Christians, those that are, that are saved. He's not talking about mature or immature believers. He's just saying simply, his point is that those that believe by faith are sufficiently mature to understand the message of the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And we're going to look at how God has blessed us with this amazing gift to enable, uh, enabling us to understand him. And there are other places in the New Testament where Paul does use the word mature to speak about the difference in the local church between mature believers and immature believers. And so, for example, Ephesians 4, verse 13, he says this. Uh, he's talking about us loving Christ. And he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There he is talking about a comparative thing in the church between those that are mature in Christ and those who are not. And then he says, so we can all attain the whole fullness of the full measure of Christ. I love that. When Paul speaks about Jesus, knowing Jesus, it's the full measure of the fullness of Christ. He wants to give us everything and not hold anything back. And then also in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says this, again, encouraging the church. He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be innocent, be like infants. But in your thinking, be mature, be adult in your thinking. And so there he is using that to encourage us as we go forward in Christ. Um, but Paul's not using it in this way in the text that we're reading this morning. He's simply saying there are Christians who are perfect in the sense that they are able to understand God's wisdom in Christ Jesus and what the gospel is. And he's revealed that to us as a gift. And then he adds, he says, this wisdom is not known to the rulers of this age. Um, and again, Paul is emphasizing again that this is just not known to clever people. And I said to you often with Paul, he argues in a roundabout way. He says the same thing from many different angles. And so in chapter 1 and 2, he's really still speaking about wisdom and, and unity in the church, but he's attacking it from all different angles. And so he's coming at it again from a different angle here. And he's just reminding us, he's saying, the rulers of this age, referring to human rulers, they don't understand the wisdom of God. And again, there's been a debate in the church. It's amazing how Christians always want to debate, right? We had the synod this week debating, 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 talking, departing from truth. Come on, guys. All of us, we hold to the, the gospel. We hold to the truth of God's word. We pass on what God has given us. Yes? And so let's not debate so much that we forget what is the real root of what we're talking about, which is the freedom that Christ has bought for all of us. Amen? And so yeah, I say that because in other parts of the New Testament, when Paul says the rulers of the air or the rulers of this world, he is often referring to demonic powers. All right? But he's not doing that here. Why do I say that? Because the text says quite clearly in verse 8, it says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
So he's talking about human leaders here. He's not t talking about demonic powers and principalities. And um, this debate as to what this might mean, whether he is talking about demonic powers, goes back to Alexander, the, uh, one of the church fathers in, in uh, AD 185 and Christism. They, they talked about this for many hundreds of years, trying to... F decide whether they think this portion talks about demonic powers or, or rulers of the world in, in, in the sense of ordinary human beings. And it's plain in the text. It's saying it right there in verse 8. So sometimes we can think too much, all right? The text says what it says. And normally what the text says is what the text means. And that's very plain in terms of how we understand, right? And so, yeah, he's talking about rulers of, the, of, of, this, of this world. And then he says... Um, he uses the same Greek word that Peter uses in Acts 13, 17, where he says, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, your leaders, talking about earthly rulers and leaders, or Acts 4 of 26, where again, Peter says, the rulers of this earth rise up and band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And it's the same word, speaking about human rulers, all right? And so it's quite clear to me that Paul is here referring to the sense of human wisdom and those who do not recognize the wisdom of God, and he's not talking about demonic powers at all. And so why then did people not understand the message of Jesus? That's what we need to ask. And Paul gives the answer again in the text. He simply says this. He says, it's because this truth of who Jesus is, is a mystery that has been hidden for ages until it was fully revealed in Christ. It's a beautiful thing he's saying. He's saying it's hidden. You can't see it through philosophy. You can't see it through thinking about it. It has to be revealed to you by revelation that comes by the Holy Spirit. You can't think your way into the kingdom. You can think some good things, and there have been, I know of one person that thought his, thought, thought, thought his way into the kingdom. Sorry, there is one person that I do know. His name was C.S. Lewis. Very brilliant man, atheist, thinking, 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 left Oxford, and by the time he arrived at Whipsnade Zoo, he had become a Christian in the car. Just like that. God showed himself. And he was a thinker, but we are not C.S. Lewis. There's none of us here that are C.S. Lewis. Most of us, Paul says, understand this as a gift that God's, God gives us by revelation. We understand who Christ is. Simply by revelation that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift to you. What an incredible thought. It's in a gift to us that God would reveal this hidden wisdom that's been hidden for ages about Jesus. And this is the gospel that Paul preaches. And he says, he says that Jesus actually experienced this in person. That the clever people of his age didn't recognize who he was. Pontius Pilate. Caiaphas, they were all very clever people. They were political people. They were the religious order of the day. And yet they did not seem to recognize Jesus for who he was. They just saw the carpenter. They didn't see the Son of God. Their eyes were still blind. How many of you have seen Avatar? The new one. It's very beautiful. What do the characters say to each other? They say, I see you. Yes, what do they mean? It's not, not talking about the physical body. They're talking about who the person is inside. I see you. I see who you are. 
the religious leaders of the day, and they never saw Jesus for who he was. They saw the carpenter. They saw the rough hands. They saw the simple man. They did not see the Son of God who was revealing himself to them. Yes? We need to see with spiritual eyes, and that only comes as God takes the blindness away so we can actually see by the power of the Holy Spirit who the Son of God is. And basically, Paul is saying that human wisdom, Greek philosophy, it cannot do that for you. It can be helpful in terms of understanding some things about how the world works or the planet works, but it cannot do that for you. It cannot save you. There's only one who can save you, a carpenter from Galilee called Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And he's the one who saves. Not your brain, but him. And so he says that, that when the, the, the rulers of the day were actually confronted by Jesus, the Lord of glory, and uh, some scholars say that's the highest title that Paul could give Jesus, the Lord of glory. Speaking of who he is, is the second person of the Trinity, and it's inconceivable that Paul would, would um, give that title to anyone else than Messiah. But this is what Paul is helping to us to see there. And in verse 9, Paul says this. He refers to the Old Testament, and he says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, has thought about, has been able to imagine, that's what Paul is saying, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, in parenthesis. So in other words, he's saying we can't even conceive or think about or imagine the things that God has prepared for us. And then he adds after that, he says, but these things, these things that we can't even dream about, that we can't even imagine about who God is or what he's done for us in the person of Jesus, we can't even begin to imagine these things in our human mind. And then he says this beautiful thing, the Spirit of God searches all things and has revealed these things to us by his Spirit. Oh, that should go, yes, that should make you say, I can know the mind of God. I can know the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit reveals perfectly without uh, error, without exaggeration. He reveals perfectly to me who God is in the person of Jesus and the mind of God I can know as I look to Jesus Christ. That should excite us. Don't let anyone say that you can't know about God. You can know God. You can know exactly what he's like, what he loves, what he doesn't like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You know exactly what my Father is like when you look at me and you see my life. And surely that's part of being effective witnesses for us is to show ourselves and live our lives that people can say, Johnny, when I look at you, I see something of Jesus. Annika, when I look at you, I see something of Jesus. We are able to point people to Christ as we love him and know him. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to perfectly speak to us and reveal him to us so that we can point other people to him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why Jesus said, I'm leaving you a comforter who will show you and testify to the things that I have said. All right, so I'm all over the place this morning, but here we go. Anyway, it says here, there's an Old Testament quote, and Paul, uh, Paul is actually putting together two scriptures in the Old Testament, so he's not qu quoting one. He's summarizing some thoughts when he says this, Isaiah 64 verse 4, 
and Isaiah 65 verse 16. He's putting these two scriptures together when he says these things of what no eye has seen, what no eye has heard. And his point is that even the Old Testament suggests that the wisdom of God is beyond our natural understanding, that we cannot conceive in our human brain of the wisdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying even the Old Testament says that. And so what we can't conceive of in our own power and through our own intellect and our own understanding, God has prepared for us those that love him and he's prepared these things for us and he's showing these things to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Man, when I was preparing this, this week, it just struck me again. It's what, what, what has been a mystery for believers, for you know, the, the, the Jews of the Old Testament. It was, they had an idea of what God wanted to do, but they couldn't get their heads fully around it. And they, they saw him doing stuff and bringing them out of Egypt, but it's still, they still didn't understand the fullness of his plan of redemption. It was still a mystery to them. They were still waiting for Messiah. And uh, this is what um, uh, Galatians 4, 4 says. I love this. One of my favorite, favorite um, scriptures in the Bible. It says, when the fullness of time had come, when the perfect time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem, to buy back those under the law that we might receive adoption as his sons. At the perfect moment when it was exactly right, have you ever thought about that? What the ancients were longing for with all of their hearts. They were longing for centuries for Messiah to come. At the fullness of time, he came in the person of Jesus. And at exactly the right moment, God revealed him to us and said, He has my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And so, I mean, Paul says this in many ways in, in other portions in Ephesians. For example, when he's writing about the mystery of the church, he says uh, in Ephesians 3 um, verse 1, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people of other generations, has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's apostles and prophets. He's saying the same thing. Now is the time where we see the fullness of God's plan of salvation in Jesus, this carpenter that no one even knew was the Son of God. Oh, it's amazing. And finally, says Paul says, God reveals these things to his people. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit teaches us all things, even the deep things of God. And the simple reason why the world cannot understand the gospel is because the gospel is only revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit to those that are seeking the gospel is revealed by the power of the Spirit. Do you notice Paul's language? This, this message, this gift, this gospel comes to us. Do you notice that? It's not like we're so clever that we find it. No, it's a gift. It comes to us. It's God just out of his generosity revealing it to us, giving it to us as a gift and saying, there you are. You now understand who my son is. I'm showing you by the power of my Spirit. Man, that is incredible. That's how salvation is. It's a complete gift of God to us, although we don't, un, we don't deserve it. And so that's why Paul reiterates over and over guess, again, this, this um, doesn't come by our, our understanding, our study, our research, our philosophy, our investigation. It only comes by the power of the Spirit showing us in a moment where he takes away the scales from our eyes and finally we understand. Yes? How many of you read the Bible before you were saved and was like, I don't know what this book is talking about. 
Anyone? Yeah. And then suddenly you get saved. And the Holy Spirit transforms your heart. And suddenly it's like your eyes are open. And you read the same text and it's like, I, I know, I get it, I see. What is that? It's the gift that God gives you to see who Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before you couldn't see and now you can. Because God has given you this incredible gift by the power of the Spirit to take the scales off your eyes, to soften your heart, and you can see. And because you can see, you live. And Christ comes to live in your heart as you ask. And he begins to transform you. Man, that is the good news of the gospel. And here Paul is doing a, an amazing thing. He's actually, when he says this, he says, um, uh, let me get, yeah. He says, um, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And he's actually, he's being a little bit philosophical here. He's kind of, he's, he's taking the, the Greeks on at their own game because he's using a principle which is called like only uh, like to like, which is like a philosophical way of arguing. And he's, let me use an example. And our staff team Two of our staff have recently got dogs, all right? Clive has got a dog called Bossy, and Alex has got a dog called Rosie, and they're little dogs, all right? And often with a little dog, you would like to know what the dog is thinking, wouldn't you? When it's just like, <laughs> like that, and you're saying, what do you want, Rosie? Or what do you want, Bossy? What do you want? And it's like, <laughs> can't tell you. Only the dog, if the dog could speak, the dog could tell us what it wants, and, and then we'll be, everything would be all right. Isn't that right? And Paul is saying an incredible thing. He's saying all of us could only guess, could only try and in a very simple way have some kind of thought about who God is or what he thinks. And it's not possible to know that in any detail at all. It's impossible. Our human brains just cannot do it. That's what he's saying. It's like we the dog. And yet, Paul says, I give you this incredible, God gives us this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and exactly, perfectly tells us the mind of Christ and the mind of God and reveals Jesus to us perfectly and re reveals God the Father to us perfectly and we can know him. What a gift. What an incredible, incredible gift. And so the, the Corinthians were saying, I'm nearly finished. The Corinthians were saying, you know, Paul, he's such an ordinary kind of guy. You know, all he speaks about the gospel. Give us the deep things of the Spirit. Do you know what Paul says? He says, my message is the deep thing of God. Because without this message, you would not be able to understand who God is. He has taken the scales off. He's taken the darkness of your heart is now removed so you can know Christ. This is the deep thing of God that he showed us by the power of his spirit. I was thinking of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And their thinking became futile and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Paul speaking about his generation. 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. We put our trust in every single other thing except God. It's the same today. Money, sex, power, Instagram affirmation. Those things will save me. Yes. If I can have a million followers on Facebook, I'll be saved. Everyone will like me. Am I being too ridiculous? But that's what it is. Kim Kardashian convincing you that if you buy her products, you will be saved. You will be beautiful. Everyone will love you if you buy her stuff. One savior. It's not Kim Kardashian. It's Jesus. The only one who will love you perfectly, love you completely as you are, and save you out of your own stupidity into his wonderful kingdom of light. This is beautiful. This is good news. What about 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Why? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus, who is the full image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for his sake. Come on. That's what Paul says. He preaches. So the world thinks it's so clever and wise, but it knows nothing of the gospel. It's still stumbling around in the dark, unable to save itself or move forward effectively, unable to free itself from chains that only Christ can free us from. And, but, but, and I'm finishing with this, so the musicians, if you'd like to come up. But, says Paul, but, says Paul, to ordinary people like you and like me, to ordinary people, Not many of us were wise, says Paul. Remember chapter 1. Not many of you were wealthy. Not many many of you were politically connected. Most of you are little people in the eyes of the world. I am, most of us in this room are little people that no one sees. You might feel small this morning and insignificant. You might feel like one of the little people, one of the nobodies in in the eyes of the great and powerful in the world. But to you, says Paul, to you, you and me, God has given this priceless gift, this priceless treasure that he gives to ordinary people like you and me. And that's to, us, to enable us to see who Jesus is, that he is Messiah, that in the carpenter is the son of God who can transform my life and change me completely from the inside out. And because of that, we are able to recognize him and put our trust in him, put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, put our future in his hands and say, Jesus, I trust you completely for the whole of my life. And I'm going to journey with you step by step because I know your interests to me are always good. You're never going to let me down. And you're going to take me forward into my destiny and my purpose. And so we start walking with Jesus, and he walks with us through the whole of our lives. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is Christ's desire for every single one of us. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Foolishness to the Greeks, to those who love philosophy, logic, cleverness to save them. Foolishness to those kind of people. An offense to Jewish people who were looking for miracles and signs. An offense to them because the sign wasn't what they thought it was going to be. 
but to those that God has called. You, me, Jews, Greeks, everyone, those who God has called, Christ the power of God. Christ the wisdom of God. Amen. I hope.